Welcome to the OKC First Church of the Nazarene podcast. At OKC First, we are learning to do three things, friendship with God, friendship with one another, and open friendship for the sake of the world. For more information about OKC First, please visit OKCFirst.com. So parables are actually pretty dangerous uh, pieces of scripture and literature. Parables have this unique capacity to all at the same time be elements of blessing and curse. Jesus had the capacity as a speaker to preach a word that would be received by some as blessing, but by others, those very same words might be received as curse. I have great news and troubling news today. Perhaps some of the words that you will hear today, based on where you are in your life of faith, very well should be received as blessing, hope, morsels of hope that fall from the table. But it is also the case that some of you, perhaps, perhaps some of us should receive these very same words (laughs) as unsettling, somewhat chaotic. It's not because God enjoys chaos. It's because God insists on God's order, and God will always find God's self postured against any order that isn't God's order. Now, this is not new in Scripture. Now, we brought it up today. Uh, Clay is a very smart young man, so Clay brought it up in our, in our Sunday school class today that, yeah, this sounds like this. This is Clay. This would be Clay. This would be Clay. Not only is he smart, he's super humble. And, uh... <laughs> Many times throughout Scripture, the people of God, and let's call them for the moment the religious establishment, it should not be understood as the entirety of Hebrew faith. That is just not. But many times you'll find that God is postured against religious establishment. I, I, think, I think it's because there are times when God wants to do a new thing, and God knows, like I am learning, that sometimes religious folks don't like new things. They only like old things. Sometimes... Sometimes religious folks prefer things the way things have been. You have to be really careful to say amen right there. You have to be really careful. Somebody's going to say, oh, they they said amen. Really, honestly, though, if you think about it, religious folks like things, not all, many religious folks like things the way they've been. But what if God wants to do something new? What if God wants to do something new in and with and through you? What if God wants to do something new in and through and with us? What if God wants to do something new in and through and with the church with capital C, so all of us that have gathered this weekend? What if God wants to do something new? Let me ask you something. Does God have the permission to do something new? Yes. And if not, the answer should be yes. (laughs) And so, receive these words today. Search your heart. Search your heart and receive these words. Perhaps you will receive them as blessing, and perhaps not, but they are still the gospel either way. 
Either way, it's the gospel. Let's look a little bit at these uh, passages of Scripture today. Everyday common scenes like parables were used to provoke the imagination of the listeners. I kind of get this as a speaker. I like to find images that you are likely to come across in your day-to-day life. As a youth pastor, I talked a lot about crayons. I used crayons a lot because I knew that crayons were just a part of the experience of life. Amen. And so I just wanted my, my students, every time they see a box of crayons or see, see, let's say, the keep calm stuff. I've used that before with you as well. Not too long ago, we used the songs of Johnny Cash. Amen. Because I want you to, to have something that triggers the imagination. Parables were used by Jesus to inspire, for sure, to comfort, for sure, but also to unsettle, and sometimes all of that at the same time. And, like we've said, maybe, maybe it's because different people are hearing the words differently, and some are inspired and comforted while others over here are unsettled, or maybe all within one human heart, someone can be inspired, comforted, and unsettled. I think that's good. That's a good thing. And Jesus was willing to use bad news stories to communicate good news. I get that too as a speaker. I, I like to do that too. One of my favorite sermons that I, that I get to preach is about Heath Ledger, the demise of Heath Ledger, and how it is that slowly but surely this character, the Joker, took him over. And I like to at the very end flip it on its head and say, yeah, yeah, Christ wants that too, except he doesn't want for the Joker to take you over. Like Paul, Christ wants us to get to the point where we say, I'm not sure where I stop and Christ begins. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I remember when Dr. Green's brother was suffering with cancer and those cells were multiplying, right? I was able to see something in that that was reminiscent of what it is that God seeks to do in an individual, but also in a people. God wants to gather and gather in and include and take over. These parables today should be understood a little bit like that. But in order for you to receive these parables, we're going to have to start with the last verse in our passage today. Every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like the master of a household who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. Although it could have been translated a little bit differently so that it actually matches the last two parables, the parable of the treasure hidden in the field, which we'll get to, the parable of the fine pearl, which we'll get to. In order to obtain the treasure, in order to obtain the pearl, the new, the old had to be done away with. And perhaps this verse could have been translated like that. Are you prepared for what it is, this new thing that God wants to do? And by the way, at this point in time, the church would have understood Jesus as very new. If you're going to connect this Jesus to God, then what we understand about God takes beautiful and perfect shape, but it's not what we expected, and it is absolutely new. Again, you can see this through the book of Acts, through the book of Acts, and now we're not so much talking about a Jewish religious establishment, we're talking about a very early Christian establishment that was already being wrecked by the newness of God brought about by the Spirit. Does God have the permission to do something new in or around you, or are you likely, where you sit, are you likely to be one of those people who say something like, well, I've always believed, dot, dot, dot. 
I've always thought, dot, dot, dot. Let's be careful. It's not a bad thing. We Wesleyans, we like tradition. We love tradition. We embrace tradition. Tradition helps us to try to discern the new thing that God is doing. We have to be careful, though. We have to be careful. Sometimes we ask God to perform only within the boxes with which we are familiar. Sometimes we ask God to stay within the parameters that we have set for God. God, really want you to do something in my life that fits right between here and right between here, please. But what if God wants to do something new? What might God do to jog your imagination? What might God do to upset your very tightly arranged and nicely organized boxes? You need to look no further than this sanctuary to see how religious people like to be orderly and organized. By the way, you're sitting very nicely. In pews that are just properly, I mean, they are all the exact, well, we know this because Tim and I worked in here to uproot all of these pews. A lot of you helped us to relay carpet to put all these pews back. And you can kind of tell when you have all the pews out of the way, it is a mess. And the church just looks so much prettier when all the pews are back in their order. Back in, just like we like them, back in their order. To people who love order, Jesus tells this parable. Oh, oh, no, no, I got to get to Annie Dillard first. This is great. Annie Dillard, who has written this in a book called Teaching a Stone to Talk, has said this about church people <laughs> and about their experience in coming to worship. She says, on the whole, I do not find Christians outside of the catacombs sufficiently sensible of conditions. Does anyone have the foggiest idea what sort of power we so blithely invoke? Or, as I suspect, does no one believe a word of it? Churches are playing on the floor with their chemistry sets, mixing up a batch of TNT to kill off a Sunday morning in his madness to wear ladies' straw hats and velvet hats to church. We should all be wearing crash helmets. Ushers should issue life preservers and signal flares. They should lash us to our pews, for the sleeping God may awake someday and take offense, or the waking God may draw us out to where we can never return. Whoa. I like her. <laughs> I like this. And I like it, I think, because, listen, I'm not saying we should all unbolt the pews. I'm saying we should never allow the orderliness to become an idol. Let's not mistake order the way things have always been, the way I've always thought things should be. Let's not mistake that for the movement of God who prefers a tent to a palace. Are you willing to go with God? He put before them a parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that someone took and sowed in his field. Well, that's stupid. Right off the bat, that's, that's, that's dumb, that's weird. Now, the, we believe now that Jesus' audience was prohibitively Jewish, and Jewish people love to farm in straight lines. They love to farm in straight lines. They, they love the order of the whole thing, and it is a good thing. It is a proper thing. It is a wonderful thing, right? What kind of self-respecting farmer would then plant what is really a weed? 
Now, Gentile farms didn't necessarily understand this to be a weed, but Jewish farmers did. If a little bitty seed gets into your nice orderly rows, they're going to wreck your nice orderly rows, and you're going to need to get that weed out of there as soon as possible. What self-respecting Jewish farmer goes and intentionally plants a mustard seed amongst all of those beautiful rows? That's ridiculous, and it gets more terrifying. He takes a seed. He sows it in his field. It is the smallest of all the seeds, but when it has grown, it is absolutely terrifying. (laughs) It is the greatest of shrubs and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. Now, I think typically I have heard and perhaps have preached to you that the way to receive this parable is to say this, the kingdom of God may start small, but it gets really big, and that's really cool. And that's not all wrong. But hear this as well. On the way to being large enough that it can house the nations and the birds of the air, it's another way to say all of the nations, on the way to becoming a large enough movement that it can house the nations, it is altogether possible that this God is going to destroy your orderliness to bring about a new order. In other words, some people in the audience that day would have said, well, this is just beautiful. This is a wonderful thing. That this small thing that God is doing is someday going to be so big that it can house the nations, the birds of the air. Other people in that same day heard this and said, this is terrifying. Because I like rose. I like order. If this is true, this is terrifying. Here's the thing, they're right. In fact, they're all right. We said this weeks ago during Pentecost. Remember that? The Pentecost sermon went a little bit like this. I promise I won't re-preach, I don't have time. The Pentecost sermon said, yes, we have fire and we have wind But maybe another metaphor will help us see what it is the Spirit seeks to do. So we introduced the possibility of water and even flood. And I played that really spooky movie preview for you. I'm not going to do it again because some of you were actually spooked by it called Geostorm. You remember that? And Geostorm had this little bitty clip in it where this huge flood goes rushing rushing across an eastern uh, city. And this flood comes through and starts to topple skyscrapers. And here's what we said that day, and here's what's being said again. God prefers arcs to skyscrapers. The movement of God should not be resisted, and if it is, it is resisted at your own peril, (laughs) because God, by God's Spirit, can topple the biggest skyscraper. Just ask Clay about the Tower of Babel. We have to be careful as religious people that we aren't in the business of building skyscrapers. This is what we believe, and this is the way things always will be, and I'm never going to be anything other than this. So skyscrapers might be people, stubborn people, but it also might be a religious tradition that doesn't understand that God moves, that God is dynamic, that God never stops flowing. I got one, amen, that's good enough, I'll go. This is a mustard seed plant.
plant that becomes a bush that becomes a nightmare. Rarely would a mustard seed bush or plant become a tree. Very rarely would a mustard seed tree or plant become large enough for the birds of the air to nest in it. What's being said here is not God prefers chaos. What's being said here is God prefers God's order to yours. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed in with three measures of flour until all of it was leavened. Okay, just as unbelievably, we couldn't believe that a sower, that a farmer would actually kind of poison his own field and bring chaos to the field. You need to know this, more often than not, yeast is understood in scripture as a pollutant, something to be avoided. In fact, someone about to make a whole lot of bread for Passover, a lot of unleavened bread, would go to great lengths to purify the kitchen so that there would be no yeast that would then pollute the bread. This person, this woman, seems to intentionally take this pollutant and hide it. It's not just the word here is not actually translated as mixed. It should be translated as hidden. There's an underhandedness to it. Again, we think, man, this must be something that Jesus is saying about God. God is, in fact, here, the agent of subversion. And it's not a little bit of flour. It's enough bread to feed 100, 150 people. It's a lot of flour. God says, okay, now is, God, is this like an all-out campaign against unleavened bread? No, it's not. <laughs> this is God saying, through Christ, through the parable, Make sure that your religious order is of divine origin. Make sure, make sure that the boxes that you draw don't become the gods. Make sure that the box that you draw does not become the parameters within, within which you expect God to move. In other words, God may be doing something new. Now, this is where it starts to get really hard. Okay, okay, I get it, John. And I'm feeling somewhat threatened here in my, in my pew without a seatbelt. I'm feeling somewhat threatened by, what do I need to do? Yeah, we all have to learn to pay attention, don't we? We all have to learn to pay attention. Slowly but surely, we hope, we hope. Now, I'm going to say this now. I'm going to say it a lot through the end of the sermon. Slowly but surely, we hope through the exercise of habits and practices we can discern the new thing that God is doing and then develop the capacity to do something about it. So I struggled with these last two parables. I struggled mightily, and Dr. Tashton helped me. The kingdom of heaven is like, we've heard that before. We heard it about the mustard seed and the yeast. This time, it starts the same way. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. It would have made more sense to me if it had been called the kingdom of heaven is like that person that goes and looks for it, but that's not what it says. This is a real struggle for me. How is the kingdom of heaven like a treasure hidden in a field? I mean, I kind of get the person, but how is the kingdom of heaven like the treasure hidden in a field? It's in the hiddenness of the kingdom of heaven. Now hear me, 
There is a lot out there that can hide the reality of the kingdom of heaven. And remember, remember, we are not talking about heaven after you die. Jesus has the audacity to say, with me, with my death and resurrection, everything has changed and I have brought this kingdom to you. You don't have to go all the way to it. I've brought this whole kingdom to you. And we high five Jesus. We say a full-throated amen. And then we start looking for this kingdom and it is often hidden, hidden, hidden by lots of other things. Remember the parable of the sower? This farmer indiscriminately broadcasts all this seed to all the different kinds of soil. Only one quarter of that soil actually received and responded to, in significant ways, that seed. Do you remember the soil that was thorny? Here's what was said about the seed that was sown in thorny ground. The cares of the world and the allure of wealth choked the seed. Guys, the cares of the world and the allure of wealth hide the kingdom in your presence and in your midst. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. A field that was probably rented from the field owner. A field that this guy was paid to farm. And who knows, maybe he went right past this treasure all the time, but finally one day, finally one day, he spotted it. And did he go right back to the field owner and say, hey, great news, I discovered this. Nope, 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 he kind of reburied it. <laughs> then went to the bank and said, I need all the money I could get. He sacrificed everything when he discovered this hidden treasure, the kingdom of heaven. I hope by virtue of being involved in the habits and the practices that you have the capacity to see what you couldn't see otherwise. I hope by, by virtue of being involved in the habits and the practices that you can hear what you couldn't have heard otherwise. But I hope you also develop the capacity to do what needs to be done when you finally see and hear. It's one thing to spot the treasure. It's another thing to evacuate all that was old in order to apprehend and acquire the new. Or, it's like this merchant, in search of fine pearls, on finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all he had and bought it. People, he had nothing else. <laughs> he sold his motorcycle. He sold his boat. He sold everything, and he bought it. Because by virtue of being involved in the habits and practices, he recognized the pearl. He could discern one good pearl from a bad pearl. He could discern that this was a pearl of ultimate worth and ultimate price. But he also, by virtue of his discipleship and spiritual formation, saw that it was a good thing to evacuate his life of the old so as to acquire and maintain hold of the new. Oh, Oh. Habits and practices. What am I talking about? I'm talking about the means whereby, and we love saying this around here, I'm talking about the means whereby over a period of time you recognize that God is moving you and growing you. What we say about the gospel at times is, I know it, I know it is. It has been for a long time. Dr. Green is way smart. What we've been saying about the gospel for a long time is kind of hard to get, and sometimes people don't get it, but that's okay, because if you're involved in the habits and practices over a period of time, it will get you. 
you'll be reshaped, perhaps without your knowledge, maybe even without your permission. If you are involved in the habits and the practices, you are being shaped to be a person who can discern and decide and have the capacity at some point to do something when you finally find the pearl of great price or the treasure hidden in a field. It's kind of like the Karate Kid, isn't it? Habits, practices, getting your whole body involved, not knowing why, maybe even frustrated the whole thing. Well, Mr. Han, I told you, I get it, okay? Be respectful. I got it. I put my jacket on a thousand times, I took it off a thousand times, okay? This is stupid. I'm done. They can beat me up if they want to. And you know why you only have one student? Because you don't know Kung Fu. So do I. What? Come here. Check it on. Mr. Han, I already... Check it on. Jacket on. I don't have a jacket. Jacket on. Be strong. Jacket on. Firm. Jacket off. Remember, always strong. Jacket off. Strong. Left foot back. Right feet back. Left feet back. Pick up his jacket. Ooh, Focus. Okay. Always concentrate. Left back. Right foot back. Pick up his jacket. Stay. Pick up his jacket. Strong. Hanging up. Hang up. Hang up. And editing. Strike. Hang up and edit you. Harder. Harder. Good. But no face. Everything we do, Xiao Zhui. He lives in how we put on the jacket, how we take off the jacket. And lives in how we treat people. Everything is Kung Fu. Okay, so all right, here's what I mean. 
I'm not trying to convince you on the merits of Kung Fu. What I'm trying to show you is that over a period of time, habits and practices got him. And when the moment of truth arrived, he knew something that he didn't know that he knew. Habits and practices prepared him for the unknown. Habits and practices prepared him to discern and then respond accordingly. Need something a little bit more real to life? Uh, This is Sully Sullenberger, the guy who landed the plane on the Hudson River. He went through the same emergency protocols for decades, decades and decades and decades. Not knowing that he was being slowly but surely prepared for a moment of crisis when he was able to save all of the lives by landing a plane on the Hudson River. He didn't know that he knew, but he was prepared by habits and practices along the way. Some of you want to be Christian and wear the t-shirts without habits and practices. You're in thorny soil. Some of you want to be Christian without habits and practices. At the very least, you're in shallow soil and you may even be the hardest ground because you wanna know who's hardest to convince that they really need habits and practices? Folks who have grown up in the church. Folks who live experience to experience rather than discipline to habit to discipline to habit to practice. The hardest folks to convince are the folks who think they've gotten it (laughs) rather than realizing the importance of being gotten by it. The new thing that God wants to do in and through you, in and through us, in and through all of us, the new thing God wants to do, perhaps God has been shouting shouting all of these things for a long time, but we weren't habited and we weren't practiced and weren't disciplined enough to know it. That treasure's in that field for a long time. Finally, he discovered it. But maybe in order to jog you free from whatever it is that you're in. Maybe God, will be ha- maybe God will have to be somewhat subversive to jar you loose from your order, the very small box within which you've allowed God to operate. Maybe God needs to jar a church loose so that God can operate outside of the very small boxes that we have drawn for God. Maybe God needs to jar the entire church capital C loose so that we can actually operate outside of the boxes that we have drawn for God. I've always thought that. Habits and practices like disciple. It is not an easy class. It is 30 some odd weeks. It is habits and practices, but what you find at the end of disciple is that there's something about the grand narrative that has gotten you. Something about prayer. Pray, 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 pray. God, I'm just not even feeling it anymore, Lord. John, why should I pray when I don't feel it? Habits and practices, because you need to be ready for when something comes. Serving, gathering together, worshiping, baptism, and the Eucharist. All of these are habits and practices that, if given time, will be a part of the process whereby, listen for it, Part of the process whereby God gets you. And here's the gospel. You ready for the gospel? (laughs) I don't have to get it 
for God to get me. God is so good and so full of grace. If I will commit myself to the processes and the habits and the practices, then over a period of time, God can build a person who can discern and finally restores God to the throne and takes off of the throne all of the traditions, all of the dry, arid places, all of the legalism that before was the very small box within which I would allow God to operate. And you may be sitting there saying, I just don't get it. Great news. It's okay. Keep coming to the campfire. Someday you're going to get warm. Someday. If you're helping us, would you please come? Heavenly Father, we come to your table today aware that at times we are those people who need to be jarred loose, would you jar us loose? Would you give us the capacity to be jarred loose? Bless these elements, Lord. Bless them. These simple elements, bread and cup. But somehow, God, use them to fund our imaginations And give us the capacity to trust you and trust the process to know that over a period of time, something is happening in us and to us and with us and hopefully through us, even when we cannot perceive it. Make us aware, God, if we have built skyscrapers of religiosity that need to be toppled in order to allow for you to do something new, Build within us the capacity of whether or not we have given you permission to do something new in us, through us, with us. God, just bless these elements and make them, make them for us. The body and the blood that we can be moved toward Christ-likeness. In a moment, I'm gonna ask you to stand to your feet, to exit your pews to the left and to come forward with your hands cupped, ready to receive that which comes only as a gift of grace. You'll come forward and you'll approach a person who has bread. That person will take a piece of that bread, snap off a piece, place it into your hands and say, this is the body of Christ broken for you. Don't eat it just yet. Dip it into the cup. Someone standing there will be holding a cup when you do. Someone will say, this is the blood of Christ shed for you and then take and eat, and then if you would, please find a place to pray. And here is a prayer that you can pray. God, I permission you to do something new. (laughs) God, do something new in me, through me, in us, with us, through us. And perhaps even at that moment, allow God to put God's finger on whatever it is in your mind, heart, imagination that is a barrier between that new thing that God wants to do and you. It was on the night that he was betrayed that our Savior took bread, he blessed it, he broke it, he gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body now broken for you. Every time you eat of it, remember me. Later on after dinner, he took the cup. He said, this is my blood shed for you. Every time you drink of it, 
remember me? As I mentioned earlier, there is here a bowl, just a little bit of water in it, just enough for you to get your fingers wet. I hope if you choose to do this, that you allow it to jog your memory and remind you of the day that you were baptized so that you can be reminded all over again that you're amongst the called people of God who are more ark than skyscraper. If you can't come to us, Caleb and Kristen will come to you. All of you are welcome at this table. Pastor, you don't know what I did today. Here's what I know. If you recognize your need for grace, no matter what that thing is that you did earlier today or yesterday, you're welcome at this table. All of those who are aware of their need for grace, today and all days, are welcome around this table. And now, if you would, stand to your feet, exit your pew to the left, come with your hands cupped to receive the gifts of God for the people of God.
ask all of those who are going to be a part of the commissioning of our ministry to the Latino community to come and gather here, if you would, and pray that prayer of commissioning. And it's Daniel and Betty and all of those who want to be included in this prayer as a part of that ministry. Also, I want to make you aware that there are people on either side ready to pray with you. If you have a prayer, if you have a need for healing, then we will meet you at these side padded altars to pray that prayer. I'm going to turn it over now to Britt for prayers of petition before turning it over to Dr. Tashton for the prayer of commission and the Lord's Prayer. to intercede for the hurts of the world. If you've come today and you're hurting, you have a wound that's throbbing, maybe it's relational or emotional, you just take a moment and pray for the wounds in your life and the wounds of the people you love. You take a moment to pray for those who are sick among us, people that we love so much, Pastor Bob Corey, LaDonna Bennett as she recovers from surgery. We pray for the Smith family as Jason's on sabbatical. And take a moment and pray for those who are undergoing surgery in the next few weeks, for Debbie McKenzie, for Pastor Walt Crow. things to you. We are at times broken. We are at times in need. Lord, we pray that you would be among us in our wounds and in our brokenness. Show us the beauty and the pain. Be with us as we learn to trust in you, to journey with you through the difficult moments of our lives. Precious God, we thank you for this new ministry that you have called your servants, Daniel and Betty, to give their lives to. We thank you that you are present and you will empower them for this task before them. We pray that you will go with them and be with them in your spirit. May your grace, your vision, your love surround them and give them the courage to do the things that need to be done to proclaim the good news of the gospel among our Hispanic brothers and sisters. And may your kingdom be built and expand. And may people come to the light of the gospel of Christ. Pray that you will encourage Daniel and Betty in times when there might be difficulties 
or there might be challenges, may your spirit be with them and may they know that all of us are supporting them with our prayers, with our words of encouragement, with our giving in every, every way we can. We pray for your peace to go with them and for your blessing to be for them and among them and through them. And for all that you do, we will give you all honor and praise. Now let us, as children of God, conclude this time of prayer as we pray the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples using debts and debtors. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen.